So we've had that video for a little while. Some of you have seen it. But have you noticed they've, they, I don't know who they is, except a tech team, have edited it? I used to be in it. <laughs> How quickly things move along. The preaching video doesn't feature me anymore. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Just a little ahead of the curve, guys. <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's the way I feel about it, too. <laughs> so today is a little bit different for me, particularly if you're a guest. Let's, if I can bring you up to speed. Uh, this is my last time in the pulpit uh, where I'm preaching a full sermon as the lead pastor of First Christian Church. I'll be back in the pulpit again in the days ahead, but, but as the lead pastor, this is my last moment for this. Leslie and I and our kids arrived in town from Tulsa, Oklahoma on January 1, 1994. A lot has changed since then. I've preached a lot of sermons. Some might have been good. Some were definitely not good. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. The law of averages just says it has to be that way. Our church has changed and I've changed. Our church's address has changed. Our family's address has changed. The congregation is older in years, but younger in demographics. I'm just older. Um, there's nothing younger about me. In fact, I, I, I think to get us started today, given my age, um, I need, I've got a task for you today. I need some help to do this preaching business today. I've got some important statements to make, make about my age, and I'm going to make each statement by starting with this statement that says, I'm so old, and then you have to ask a question on me. How old are you, Wayne Kent? All right, so you ready? Let's try this. I'm so old. How old are you, All right, you got it? Here we go. Strap, strap that seatbelt in. Here we go. I'm so old. I'm so old that when friends call after 9 p.m., they ask, did we wake you up? I'm so old. I'm so old that when I was young, rainbows were in black and white. I'm so old. I'm so old that when I was born, the Dead Sea was just getting sick. Keep up the gratitude laughs. Just the I'm so old. I'm so old there are more candles on my cake than there are at the birthday party. I'm so old. I'm so old that when I look in the mirror, I'm reminded of the nightly news. There's going to be some developments I don't like. <laughs> Leslie, you ready? <laughs> I'm so old. I, uh, maybe I shouldn't go there. I'm so old. <laughs> I'm so old that my wife's social security number is one. <laughs> oh, 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 that wasn't right. That wasn't right, right? <laughs> I got three more. You rub for them? I'm, yeah, yeah, I'll be. I need to go somewhere for lunch today, by the way. <laughs> I'm so old. 
I'm so old that when I go to an antique auction, there's a problem. At least three people bid on me. <laughs> Two more. And this pain will be over for everyone. I'm so old. I'm so old that my blood type is now discontinued. <laughs> and then finally, one more that you have to be old to understand. So some of you may not understand this, but there are some things when you get to be a certain age, you just don't have to do anymore. So let's try this one. I'm so old. I'm so old that my doctor says there's only one more colonoscopy left within me. <laughs> Every five years, right? <laughs> All right. So what are we doing today? Um, we're really doing two projects. We're closing out our spring sermon series called Proverbs, The Art of Living Wisely. It's been an eight-week project. But we're also, that's a short-term project, if you will, but we're also closing out on my responsibilities as they have been for the last 28 years. A long-term project. Short-term and long-term. How do the two of them come together? Well, as we've discovered in our recent sermon series on Proverbs, We've learned that the Bible, and particularly Proverbs in, the, in what we've been examining throughout the spring, Proverbs gives us advice and counsel that's 3,000 years old and yet has direct applications to us living in the 21st century 3,000 years later. And to that end, my task today then is to look at Proverbs and see if there's something there that, that a retiring lead pastor would say to a beloved congregation? What is it that a lead pastor of many years would say if given the moment? And since I've been given this moment, here's what I'm fully aware of what Proverbs is like. Proverbs is written from the perspective of an older man. It is a man giving instruction to the next generation. He's giving, a, giving guidance. Proverbs is written primarily by three different men, one in particular, namely Solomon, and is saying, we're at the end of our careers, is what they are saying, and here's how you should carry yourself in the days ahead. So I have some, if I, if I may, I have some, I'm so old, not jokes, but some counsel, some ideas of how Proverbs says to approach life and to listen from one generation to the next. Hear a compilation of these ideas this morning from Proverbs. Proverbs says, for lack of guidance, a nation, could we, could we switch it up just a little bit today for the sake, for lack of guidance, a church falls, but through lack of guidance, a nation falls. Victory, though, is won through many advisors. Listen to advice and accept discipline. This is an older man writing, remember, to a younger generation. Listen to advice, accept discipline, and at the end, you'll be counted among the wise. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Wisdom is found in those who take advice. Listen. Listen for, listen so that you'll gain wisdom and instruction. Listen for understanding words of insight. Listen to receive instruction in prudent, in proper behavior. Listen to know what to, how to do what is right and just and fair. Listen for giving prudence to those who are simple for knowledge and discretion to the young. If, if that's you, if you're going, I'm young, I'm still looking, I'm still trying to figure out life, listen. Let the wise, if you listen, you're considered wise, listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Listen to your father's instruction. Now, I'm not your dad. For some of you here today, for many of you, I'm old enough to be your father. 
And frankly, for many in the life of our church, I remember the day you were born. I was even at the hospital for a lot of those births. And for all of us today then, some counsel, if I may, some notes for us as we begin writing the next chapter of our congregation's story. I want to give you a list. It's not a complete list, not a comprehensive list, but it's a list of some ideas that will help our congregation in the days ahead. Some advice, some counsel from an older man. And in some ways, what I'm about to say today is not new to you. If we haven't covered some of these concepts or, or ideas in the last 28 plus years, then one last sermon isn't going to shift a congregation's trajectory. Instead, this is a moment, a reminder, if you will, of this is how we operate together as a congregation. As a matter of fact, this isn't even a thank you sermon. That's, that's coming up in a couple weeks, all right? That, th- those moments are coming in a couple weeks. Those moments may be more tough emotionally for me than what I'm about to say today. Because for this moment, I'm, if, you, if I may, I'm the old guy giving some advice. My last moment or last preaching responsibility as the old pastor, so listen up type thing, all right? So that's where we're going today. I have some counsel for how we, as a congregation, can help our new lead pastor in his ministry in the days ahead. In the days ahead. So this is, this is in the spirit of Proverbs, older generation giving counsel to the younger generation. Here's what I would like to invite you to consider, and these are the ways in which I want our congregation to act in the days ahead. I want to be certain that our congregation continues to be a praying church. Prayer is the hallmark of our congregation. For years now, we have prayed over every decision, over every action. We pray over and with people. We've prayed about this upcoming transition. There's another, by the way, there's another prayer meeting about this transition this coming Wednesday at noon. We've been holding them on a regular basis here in this, in this room, in the West Auditorium, noon this Wednesday for 30 minutes. Why are we praying? Because it's, we, we pray over all kinds of things around here because I'm convinced that any ongoing ministry success of First Christian Church, catch this, it will only be as powerful as the intentionality of the congregation's prayer life. We must be a praying congregation. Then as we pray, we should expect to do this. We should expect to embrace change. We've learned about this for many decades now. There's a change coming, friends. There's a change coming to the primary voice in the pulpit in the months ahead. They'll also, undoubtedly, whether or not whoever was lead pastor, whether it was me or Brian, there will be a change coming to the congregation's focus. Why? Because what we did last year or 25 years ago is not appropriate for the coming years. We are a congregation that embraces change and say, what is God calling us to do now? Not before, but now. Next week, we'll install Brian Talty as the lead pastor of First Christian Church. We'll install him next week, and then the week later, you'll, whatever, defrock me, whatever you want to call it, okay? <laughs> and just so that you know, I'm back in the pulpit next week, but Brian and I, the next two weeks, are co-preaching, so be mindful of that. So, enough said. Here's what I believe is happening next week. That as you pray for and with Brian, and as you embrace this change, next weekend could be the most important event in the church's life for the next 25 years. I'm not by, I don't want to bind Brian to 25 years of ministry here, but I'm aware that pastoral leadership works best when there's longevity and a partnership involved over many years. I would invite you next week, bring a card or a note of affirmation for Brian and his family for the role they're taking on. 
there'll be places where you can leave them in the lobby. See, a church's success is started with prayer, then moved forward by a congregation's willingness to embrace change. Prayer's results, when we pray, we don't pray, for the most part, praying, God, bring about a change, right? And so when we pray, prayer's results usually mean changes. And most often, prayer initiates a move from God that requires an ensuing movement on behalf of those who are actually praying. And churches that pray and then forego change, they nullify the intent and the results of the prayer. They get stuck in old ways. Their forward move in direction is set adrift, if you will. We saw this happen last year in an event that caught the attention of the entire world. Uh, in the Suez Canal, 2021, the Evergreen is a, a, um, is a large shipping firm, and they had a big ship called the Given, the Evergreen Given. It's as long as the Empire State Building is, is high. March 23, 2021, was a bad day for the captain and the crew of that ship. Apparently, as they were going through the Suez Canal, a big windstorm came up. The wind caught all those containers that were stacked up on deck as if it was, they were a big, large sail. And the next thing you know, the wind was driving them along, and they couldn't stop the ship. And they suddenly found that they were grounded at the bow and at the stern. Nobody could get through the, um, through the Suez Canal for weeks, and international shipping rates went sky high. All the ships had to go around the Horn of Africa after, as a result. Why? Well, once a, once a large ship like that is traveling in, in, in one direction, even without a storm pushing it, it takes up to 1.8 miles for it to stop. The inertia of traveling is simply too strong. The evergreen got going in the wrong direction, unable to change, and then got stuck. I'm glad I don't work for the evergreen company in March of last year. However, bless their hearts, once again, the Evergreen shipping firm got in trouble this year. Do you remember? This year, they got one of their container stuck, ships stuck in the mud in Chesapeake Bay. Not in the Suez Canal, but here in the U.S. It wasn't the Evergreen or the Ever Given. This time it was the Evergreen Ever Forward, which I think is a very ironic name. <laughs> given that it couldn't move forward or backwards, was stuck in the mud for weeks. Five weeks, it was stuck in the mud outside Chesapeake Bay. 5,000 containers on board. You've been wondering why your new couch hasn't arrived, <laughs> right? You ordered it a long time ago. Well, I mean, I need to tell you, friends, it's been sitting in the holds of that ship stuck in the mud, and hopefully they'll hose off the mud before they bring it into your house. Salvage tugs and barges, and they worked for weeks, pulling, pushing. They dredged around the ship. They said, if we can suck enough mud out, maybe it'll come loose. But no, the mud kept sucking that ship down. Finally, they said, what we're going to do? We have to offload a lot of these containers. They took 500 containers, loaded them onto barges, dumped them on the shore at Baltimore, and when the right high tide came along, the ship floated free. That story of two ships, friends, in less than a year, is the story of churches headed in one direction and unable to move in new ways. They get stuck. We are not like that. We embrace change. And I have a feeling that a few years from now, we might look back upon, if you will, the last few decades, and maybe one mark of the gracious, gracious partnership of many years between you and me in this 
and you and me. Maybe this is the one mark. We've prayed together. We've found God's plan for new ideas and ministry approaches. And then as painful as it has been at times, we've embraced changes. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for a lot of things. But I want to thank you for the special grace that you have given the culture here at First Christian Church. We have a culture that says, if it's in God's best plan, we'll do things in new ways. Thank you for that. We are different now than we used to be through your willingness to change. And I'm mindful that's not common in a lot of churches. So then as change comes along in the next chapter, what should we do after we pray and after we say we change? Well, then I invite you to invest trust in Pastor Brian and his team. Because can I tell you, this is, how, this is how this sort of stuff usually works in pastoral transitions in leadership in churches. A new pastor arrives on the scene. Long-standing congregations like us, we're 188, 189 years old. They'll rarely invest too much trust in that man or woman. The pastor has to earn trust. He or she has a certain amount of pocket change, if you will, some leadership funds, some authority, gravitas in his or her pocket. It's pocket change of leadership. And if the pastor spends it wisely, then the congregation will dole out a little bit more, bit by bit. I get it. But in Pastor Brian's case, he's been here for 18 years. He has 18 years of pastoral authority already as change in his pocket. And I promise you, he will spend it wisely. He's not new on the scene to us. Years ago, the elders and leadership teams of the church began to wonder, was he the next guy? And so we began, without him even being aware of it at the time, we began putting him through his paces in a lot of different things. We prayed, we've chatted, we've looked at it from this angle and that perspective, and he's ready for this role, and I believe our church is ready for Brian to lead us. And maybe I could explain it this way. You know, pastors get a lot of things, gifts. Um, people think of us throughout the week, and they say, ah, this comes along, and I want to give this to, to my pastor. And and so over the years, I've had some unusual things given to me that um, I thought I'd show you a few of them today. For example, this is interesting. I don't know what you do with a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to open it up. But if anything comes out, don't look at it. Leslie wanted to see if we could use it as a gravy boat. Oh, I'm sorry, honey, that's twice, <laughs> that's twice this week I've done this. No, that was right off the cuff. I should have done that. <laughs> oh, my. What do you do with, I mean, this is very nice. I'm sorry, honey, that was twice in one day. I'll, 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 I'm, the couch is quite comfortable, actually. <laughs> oh, God. So... On another occasion, after I preached one week, this showed up. <laughs> I don't know that I recall who gave it to me. Maybe it was an honor. No, it wasn't. They were not making a comment about my sermon. I hope. Actually, what, what, they were making a comment about my sermon because in my sermon that week, I described the story of how a skunk got caught down in the window well of one of the basement windows at the house. And he wasn't happy about it. And he showed his displeasure. <laughs> he let his dissatisfaction be known to our home and to the entire neighborhood very quickly. And finally, uh, animal control came along and got him out. And, um, 
And we had to move out of the house. It was awful. As a matter of fact, we were out of the house for two nights, three days. And finally got a hold of an expert who said, I'm not going down there, but I'll tell you what to do if you go down there. And so <laughs> I literally had to climb down inside the w window well and clean up what this skunk had left behind. Yeah. Now, here's a one. I got one more for you, another gift that somebody gave me one time that this man spent a long time working on this. It's handmade. He, I mean, when you see it, you go, well, that's, well, you're going to respond exactly how I responded when I got it. This lovely gentleman in our congregation, he and his wife passed away a number of years ago now. And he gave me my own personal spittoon. <laughs> I don't know if he was commenting on my sermon again. So, and I, when I showed the younger staff this, this week, like last week, and I said, I'm going to use this, they said, what's a spittoon? I'm going, are you kidding me? <laughs> if you don't know what a spittoon is, in days gone by, uh, when... Men particularly used to eat uh, or chew a lot of tobacco. You'd walk into the lobbies of buildings and there'd be big vats like this where you could spit. So this man uh, spent hours making me my own personal spittoon. And I'd, again, I don't know if he was commenting on my message. I don't know. What, what does a fellow do with your own personal carry-around spittoon? I don't know what you'd do with this. I remember when he gave it to me, I'm um, saying, well... Pastor, I want you to have this. Well, 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 thank you. What's the best gift you could give Pastor Brian Tolte? What's your best gift that you could give him? Your trust. Give Brian your trust. I know this man. I know how he prays. I know how he studies. And I know how he leads. I know he'll make some errors, absolutely. But I'm aware of this. For every mistake you might recognize in Brian in the days ahead, I promise you, there have been far more in my ministry than I can count. Trust him. And as you trust him, as you prayerfully create a new growing partnership with Brian and his team, let's as a congregation create a future that carries the next generation. So in other words, what we're doing today and in the next couple of weeks is for the generation coming after us. Selfishness would have us do church like we want to do church. But congregations that have that approach only last one generation. Around here, we focus on kids. We invest in them a lot. We love babies and children. I've learned that in a four- to five-week period between uh, the beginning of September and the middle of October, we have 11 babies in the making right now. Now, I, I, a number of things come to mind immediately as I learn. We have lots more babies than that coming, but in that brief period of time, what that means is that about six weeks after that period of time, we're going to need a lot more people in the nursery area cuddling babies. Sign up for it now. You get to cuddle some newborns. That's one thing that comes to mind. A second thing that comes to mind is, I wonder what was in the water earlier on in the winter. <laughs> and then third thing that comes to mind is, what was going on with the weather that caused so many people to want to be at home, and parents, hmm, all at the same time, what's with that? <laughs> we have an event for kids this week, absolutely, to show you that we're intentional, intentional about this. The best, one of the best places to go in Decatur in the summer is the Overlook Adventure Park, and we're hosting a free night of mini golf on the ropes course Wednesday night. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome, no matter your age, but it's obviously bring your kids. They're going to like to climb the ropes. They're going to like to 
Swing those clubs at those holes and everything. So do it, okay? What, here's what I, if you need more information, check out the church's website. Here's what I'm trying to get you to say and understand. Take care of the kids, friends. Take care of the kids and the children and the grandchildren of our church and of our staff, including Pastor Brian's. Hold our children as staff members, our grandkids. Hold the children of our church. Hold them to biblical standards, absolutely. But don't hold them to cultural, generational standards. There's a difference. Preacher's kids, church kids, your kids can get a bum rap at times for wanting to do life and church in new ways. Leave room for them to grow and experience the wonders of their walk with Christ. Let them explore and discover and run their race for Jesus. See, this pastoral transition is not really a tape line indicating the end of the race for our church. It's a tape line, yes, for my role as lead pastor. But for our church, it's simply a page turn to the next chapter. I'm pastor number 44 in the story of our church at 188 years long. As a matter of fact, my title really should be uh, long-term interim. That's what I am. I'm a long-term interim. Because this job was never mine to hold. It was mine to shepherd and steward for a period of time. It's Brian's responsibility as the next pastor, pastor number 45. And you know what? Maybe if we do this right, pastor number 46 might already be in the youth group right now in training so that the next generation after Brian comes along. See, how we as adults manage these next few years, it will determine how the children of today follow Jesus in days beyond the immediate. We get the immediate But I want to think about where are we going to be in 10 years and 25 years from now? Will the children of today be following Jesus? What are we doing to make that certain? We invest in them so the story of our congregation goes far beyond 22. We are a church, say we're focused on the ministry of Jesus, on caring, on supporting, on praying, on planning for a future. And maybe I could explain it this way. This past week, the world remembered D-Day, 1944, June 6, 1944, the day in which the, uh, the, the tide, if you will, of World War II shifted dramatically away from the Germans and toward the Allied forces. America had a part to play in that. What did, one of the things that America did on June 6, 1944 was in the middle of the night, right after midnight, America's 101st Airborne put almost 13,000 paratroopers on planes, and they flew over France, and they descended in the dark of the night. Two American medics were on board and part of those paratroopers, a guy by the name of Kenneth Moore and Robert White. They were not soldiers, they were medics. They landed at 3 a.m. near a small French village called Angot-au-Plain. Gunfire broke out. The battle went back and forth for 36 hours. The line went back and forth through that village, back and forth. And Moore and Wright weren't there to fight, but to care for the wounded. They set up shop in an old church on the Allied sign of the line when they first arrived. The church building is very old. At that point, it was 1,100 years old. Pardon me, 900 years. It was built in 1,100. It's now 1,200 years old. And the injured were carried into the building, and they were laid on the pews. 
But as the line moved back and forth, at one point they were actually behind enemy lines. Three German officers walked in the building, they showed up, but when they saw that the medics were treating everyone, regardless of what uniform they were wearing, the officers just left them alone. Early in the morning, a bomb crashed through the ceiling. It landed on the stone floor down below, right in front of them, and it cracked the stone floor. A bomb has just landed. Can you imagine the terror? And the long seconds, one, two, three, four, five, nothing happened. It was a dud. By 10.30 that night, the line uh, with the Allied forces had moved so far that uh, Moore and uh, White were moved forward into the line to treat the next group, if you will. And they left behind 80 soldiers laying on the pews many of them German. The building is still there in France. There's something unique about it. As Carl Kuhl explains in his book, Bloodstained Pews, after the war ended, as you would expect, the villagers showed up, and they walk into their building. There's the cracked floor. The windows are all shattered. And as they look at the pews, they see the pews are covered with blood. It's actually seeped down into the grain of the wood. They didn't replace the pews. They didn't sand them down to make them look fresh and clean. They didn't cover them with cushions. They preserved them with the blood still visible. They wanted to make something absolutely, absolutely, um, the next generation. You need to know that while this building may have built in the 1100s, it was built to be a place of hope and healing for broken, hurting people. And on June 6th, that congregation said, on June 6th, 1944, that's exactly what this building was. It was a place for the wounded to come, for the injured to bleed, for people to be healed, for the hurting to be cared for, no matter who they were or what they were wearing, no matter what stripes or stars they may have had on their uniforms, their beliefs, or their background. Today, that little building is a church of blood-stained pews. You won't find blood from a physical battle staining our pews here in the West Auditorium or staining the seats in the East Auditorium. But here's what you will find. In our pews, in our seats, in our online audience, here's what you will find. You'll find a congregation focused on a future with a story to tell of the past only as we embrace the changes of the future. We've got some blood around. We've had some moments, I know that. But the future for this church, based on what we've been together, it includes a continued focus on healing the hurt and caring for the wounded and telling people of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Next week, yeah, we'll install Pastor Brian as our new lead pastor. For a week, for one week, we're going to have two lead pastors because I won't be uninstalled till the week following. I think we're going to argue a lot as to who's in charge. That's my plan. I want to argue with you over the color of carpet. That's what churches do. I want to argue with you over who's responsible to change the church sign. Those sorts of things. That's not how we do life around here, friend. Instead, here's how we do life. The pastor Brian and I will join with you in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead, working for the sake of Jesus Christ, 
for how his impact is made in each other's lives, in our children, in our community, and the places around the globe that God calls us to impact. What will we do? We will work together for God's kingdom's sake. In the name of Jesus. That's the story of our church. Let's pray together. Lord, it's been my honor to serve this body for a lot of years and to have plans for the future in that regard as well. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful, God, that we're not a church that is stuck in the past. We're not a church that's stuck in old ways that say, well, how did we do it last year, so we have to do it that way this year. No. We're a congregation that we will do all that we can, God, for the sake of Jesus Christ's story being made known in this community, in our own lives, in the lives of our children, and in the places around the world that you call us. In these next few weeks and as we move into the rest of the summer, God, as shifts come along and this and that move about, may we recognize, God, your work among us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand together, please, friends?